Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because they anchor us in something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. Good morning, Genesis. I'm Jenny Gullickson. I'm going to be reading scripture this morning. I'm going to be reading from the book of Acts. Um, chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. On the day Pentecost was being fulfilled, all the disciples were gathered in one place. Suddenly they heard the sound of a violent blast of wind rushing into the house from out of the heavenly realm. The roar of the wind was so overpowering, it was all anyone could bear. Then all at once a pillar of fire appeared before their eyes. It separated into tongues of fire that engulfed each one of them. They were all filled and equipped with the Holy Spirit and were inspired to speak in tongues, empowered by the Spirit to speak in languages they had never learned. Now, at that time, there were Jewish worshipers who had emigrated from many different lands to live in Jerusalem. When the people of the city heard the roaring sound, crowds came running to where it was coming from, stunned over what was happening because each one could hear the disciples speaking in his or her own language. Bewildered, they said to one another, wait, aren't these all Galileans? So how is it that we hear them speaking in our own languages? We are Northeastern Iranians, Northwestern Iranians, Elamites, and those from Mesopotamia, Judea, East Central Turkey, the coastal areas of the Black Sea, Asia, North Central Turkey, Southern Turkey, Egypt, Libyans who are neighbors of Cyrene, visitors from all over the Roman Empire, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And yet we hear them speaking of God's mighty wonders in our own dialects. They all stood there, dumbfounded and astonished, saying to one another, what is this phenomenon? But others poked fun fun of them and said, they're just drunk on new wine. Peter stood up with the 11 apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, my fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, you need to clearly understand what is happening here. These people are not drunk like you think they are. It's only nine in the morning. This is the fulfillment of what was prophesied through the prophet Joel. For God says, this is what I will do in the last days. I will pour out my spirit on everybody and cause your sons and daughters to prophesy. And your young men will see visions and your old men will experience dreams from God. 
the Holy Spirit will come upon all of my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. I will reveal startling signs and wonders in the sky above and mighty miracles on the earth below. Blood and fire and pillars of clouds will appear. For the sun will be turned dark and the moon blood red before that great and awesome appearance of the day of the Lord. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So friends, I want to address the question that I know many of you have been wrestling with over these past few days, and that is, what do we do and what do I do? And so the first thing I want to say is the importance of lamenting. I remember when Dee McIntosh came and preached at Genesis several years ago, and she preached out of the book of Nehemiah, and she noted that in the face of tragedy, uh, the city had fallen, Jerusalem's walls were down, and there was a person that saw it firsthand, the rubble lying all over the ground, the destruction, the loss. And that person returned and told the story and lamented. Nehemiah is living under the luxury and privilege and power of what it means to be the cupbearer of King Artaxerxes, the ruler of the Persian Empire in Susa, the capital. And he has the audacity to ask his brother and those who have come from Jerusalem, how are things in Jerusalem? And Hanani responds, the survivors there in the province who have escaped captivity are in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been destroyed by fire. This morning, I want us to look at the response of Nehemiah. Because here in the three-point process of Nehemiah's response, I think we can glean how we, maybe not we because this does not categorize me, how you as white American Christians can respond to the atrocities of people who do not look like you, talk like you, or come from your same socioeconomic background and or context. Amen? So let's look at Nehemiah's response. Hanani reports that the wall is broken down and the gates are on fire. And Nehemiah says in verse 4, When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, fasting and praying before the Lord. Point one, Nehemiah lamented. Before I can even go into Nehemiah's lament, let me just give you a few notes, side notes that we can put in the margins that I feel like it is necessary to say. Notice that Nehemiah did not say, I hear what you're saying, but I need to wait for the unbiased reporting of news media to tell me precisely what is happening in the context, even though the reporters of the context do not understand the historical nature of what actually happens in everyday life for people of lower socioeconomic status. But I'm going to wait, Hanani. I know that you live there. I know that you understand what people are seeing and feeling. I know that you have experienced the oppression yourself, but I'm sorry, I have to wait on all the facts from unbiased news stations. He doesn't ask for more facts. He doesn't ask for more people to come and report to him what is going on. Nehemiah 
falls down on his knees and he begins to, warm, to mourn and lament. He is like the women at the wailing wall. He bemoans what is happening in the inner city of Jerusalem. We are not a nation that is good at lamenting. And I am concerned for an American church that does not grasp the importance of lamenting. Because if we don't learn how to lament, we can't ever actually make changes in the world. We have to be a people that understands what lamenting is. Lamenting is not about feeling bad. It is not simply feeling sad. Lamenting is not an expression of sorrow in order to assuage feelings of guilt and the burden of responsibility. Lamenting is like being stuck in the dark night of the soul, and there is nothing within Christianese language that can get you out of it. I think one of the things that if we don't first lament uh, before we take action, we risk taking the wrong kind of action. And we risk even doing action to assuage our guilt versus engaging in the right kind of action that will result in good justice being done. And so the first thing we need to do is we, we need to lament. And I talked last week about suffering, joining, suffering in the suffering that Christ did. And I... I talked about that in light of the mission of Christ, that he said he's come to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to open the eyes of the blind, to uh, release the captives from prison. And I talked about the reality of when we do that, when we lift those people up who are being oppressed, um, we do so by standing in the face of power that is benefiting from oppressing those people and those people groups. And we suffer when we join in that work because, number one, the powers that be um, don't like losing power. But number two, we suffer because we join with those who are already suffering. And we're led into the pain that they felt for generations. And so lamenting is in part pausing to enter into the sorrow and sadness and heartache and anguish and rage and grief in whatever way that we can so that uh, we can really see and enter into solidarity versus jumping in too quickly as if we can solve a problem simply by being active. We have to lament. I remember one time Lynn Hybels, um, she's a, been an activist for years and years, and I interviewed her on my podcast, and she said that she had to come to a point when she was uh, wading into the issues of uh, violent violence in the Middle East and Israeli-Palestinian conflict, that she said she realized she had two choices when it comes to uh, engaging. And choice number one is to engage and let your heart get wrecked and weep and mourn and not know what to do and look foolish and all those things. 
The only other option was to disengage and not think about it. But she said, if you choose that route, you become less human. So we engage and let our hearts be broken and get wrecked and get confronted with ways in which the system benefits us while oppressing others. And by us, I mean white people. And or you choose to disengage because it's too hard. Uh, but if we do that often enough, we risk becoming less human. I think those are wise words. So I'm choosing to engage, even though I know I'll make a fool of myself, even though I'll know I'll do it wrong and get it wrong and I'll offend people along the way and sometimes I'll hide and sometimes I'll do too much and sometimes I'll do too little, but I wanna choose to engage. But the only way to do that is by lamenting and entering into the pain that perhaps we um, didn't quite know was as big as it is. So first we lament. Then I think it's really important to get informed. We need to realize that when a police officer kneels on the neck of a black man for nine minutes until he dies, that that is not an isolated incident, as our friend Pastor Edrin Williams pointed out in his email to his congregation that several of us shared on the Genesis Facebook page. Uh, that that's not an isolated incident. That America has used police for centuries to control black bodies. That the prison industrial complex has done the same thing. That there is an entire system that enables a white woman in Central Park to be to call the police on a black man who simply asked her to leash her dog. Uh, that's not an isolated incident either. That happens because that she's been trained that the police will protect her and her kind of people. Um, I have three boys three white boys, three white sons, and I'll never have to have a conversation with them about how to act around police officers. But anyone who has a child of color, they will have to have that conversation about if you get pulled over, what to do with your hands, about um, making sure you look a certain way and talk a certain way and act a certain way, that because that is reality. Um, I'll never have to have that conversation with my boys. Um, but if I had kids of color, I definitely would have to have that conversation. And that is an unjust, an unjust system. And so we need to get informed. There are so many different uh, ways to get informed on this. We're going to go through a book as a church, and I'm going to give more details uh, this next week, but a book called Stand Your Ground. And so I encourage you to order that book. Um, it's by Kelly Brown Douglas, and um, it, it, will, it will help. It will be one of the resources that will help us understand uh, how the system works and understand why when these things happen, uh, they are a part of a system that's working the way that it was set up to work. And so we lament and then we get informed and then we take some action. 
we protest. Uh, we call our Congress people. We uh, sign petitions. We show up in ways that are helpful and not hurtful. We continue to be learners about what it means to um, uh, disrupt with our choices, with our words, a system that is rigged against black bodies. And we pay the price to do so. We have hard conversations. We don't let racist comments slip by. We learn to take our pain uh, to God and to others. And so that pain can be transformed into works of justice and mercy. Organizations that are doing an incredible work in this regard are the Poor People's Campaign, uh, International Justice Mission, uh, Preemptive Love, and uh, some of you may choose to get involved in different ways with some organizations that are doing some really good work in the world. Uh, I encourage you to do that because otherwise we can feel paralyzed in knowing what to do. The truth is none of us know what to do, gang. Um, we all feel paralyzed these days. We all feel, and it's the temptation is because there's so many, there's, there's just so much pain and evil right now. The temptation is to numb out. But I think the Church of Jesus Christ is and can be a hopeful presence in the world that takes solidarity, that joins in solidarity with those who suffer uh, for the sake of the world. I like what Robert Mulholland used to say before he died. We're not in the world for Christ. We're in Christ for the world. Uh, and I think that really is a beautiful picture. Now this Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. It's the end of the Easter season and it's the beginning of ordinary time, if there can be such a thing as ordinary time. And I think Pentecost Sunday has something to teach us about the moment that we're in. So you have to ask the question, what is Pentecost Sunday? What is Pentecost? And the easiest way to describe it is it's the moment in the life of the people of God when the gestation period is over and new birth has happened. So the verses that Jenny read a few minutes ago highlight these believers that are sitting in the upper room and they're terrified because they've, they're already facing persecution for claiming allegiance to that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. And all of a sudden, the spirit falls on them and they begin speaking in other languages and tongues of fire rests on their head and all these different metaphors. And Peter gives this electric sermon where he's basically just quoting the prophet Joel that says in the last days, uh, young men and young women will prophesy. Young men, old men will have dreams and see visions. And, and this is just saying that um, there will come a day, Joel says, and Peter says, this is the time where uh, we will listen to people that we norm that we hadn't listened to before and where the spirit will pour out power on all people so that 
the church, the body of Christ, can be a good gift to the world. That we're not left alone, that we're not left to try to figure it out on our own. But the spirit of Jesus is really what that is, empowers people to do things we ordinarily would never be able to do on our own, to stand in a kind of power and in a kind of um, vulnerable fearlessness where we're willing to suffer for the sake of Christ. We're willing to share in the sufferings of Christ, as I said last week, because we're empowered by the Spirit. And that's a new beginning in the church. That's how Genesis would, would call it. This is a new beginning. And I think it's poignant because I do believe right now in the history of the world, the church, Big C, is at the beginning of a new birth. We, the gestation period, I believe, is over. And I believe we're moving into a new way of being as a church that is expanding the walls past uh, the kinds of systems of oppression that have held it, held it captive for so long. And I think the church is waking up in ways. And when I say the church, I mean the body of Christ worldwide. I don't mean any one kind of church. I certainly don't mean uh, the gathered on Sunday mornings only church. I mean the people that are committed to the mission of Christ, that Christ laid out in Luke 4, that he came, the spirit of the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to set the prisoners free, to give eye, to give sight to those who are blind, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The spirit is pouring out power on the church, uh, on you and me and on people all over the world to be a good gift to the world. And, and I believe we're in that moment where the gestation period has ended and the birth has begun. And what we're seeing is I think there's a whole lot of pain that's associated with this birth. There's a whole lot of sorrow and, and people are waking up to uh, the oppression that has pushed so many people down. And people are saying enough, it is time to join the good work of Jesus in the world, to bring healing and grace and comfort, to raise up those who have been brought low and to bring down the systems of power that have held people captive for so long. That's what Pentecost is all about. And then the Spirit sends the people of God, the Church of Jesus, out into the world during ordinary time to do good works in the world. And so Pentecost is for such a time as this, gang. It is for such a time as this. It is the time for us to look to the Spirit to lead us and guide us into new beginnings. Uh, our church just passed a vote where LGBTQIA plus individuals uh, will be able to be married and be fully included in the life of our church for the first time. That's going to require a whole lot of learning, really, to do that well. But it doesn't stop there. To be fully inclusive means to look to the other and to provide a place of welcome where it is not just you're welcome in our space, but it's you're welcome to come and change our space because of your presence. And we will follow your lead and allow who you are to affect who we are. 
not about just making room at the table so that as long as they play by the same rules, it's about changing the way the table is set. It's about allowing those who come to the table to bring their food to the table, to change the conversation at the table, to allow us all to expand and grow. That's what the work of the Spirit, I believe, is doing these days in the world. And I think it's, an, it's a tremendously painful time to be alive, but it's also an incredibly exciting time to be alive. Exciting is not the right word. It's a fertile time to be alive, meaning there's lots of life that is being stirred up. And I have energy to join in that kind of life. And I know so many of you do too. I'm so proud of our church and the way we're imperfectly trying our best to lean into loving um, justice and having mercy and walking humbly with the God that, that invites us to do something new. So on this Pentecost Sunday, may we lament, may we lament with those who grieve. May we have the courage to feel our deep pain. Uh, may we get informed so that we don't rush in and make things worse because we just want to act to assuage our own guilt. Uh, may we take action at the appropriate times in the appropriate ways. And as we do so, may we know we're not going to do it right all the time. We're really not. We're going to mess up. We're going to screw up. We're going to make fools of ourselves at times. But we're going to keep going because the alternative is to disengage and be less human. And none of us want that. Through the Spirit's power, we can do this work. Amen. Endings are a place where life is Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscove.org.